Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Ashland University's Professional Learning Podcast. This is your host, Dr. David Silverberg. Today we have with us Tom Flatting. Tom is Vice President of Hennis Communications, one of the few firms in the United States focused exclusively on crisis management, crisis communications, and reputation management. Formerly, Tom was the managing editor of the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Detroit Free Press. Thank you very much for taking the time with us today, Tom. Thank you, David. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Well, sure thing. Uh, we have superintendents, principals, other educational leaders listening to this from across the state. Uh, we'd love to get your insight and advice about how they can help respond and communicate to the families and communities they serve. Well, first of all, and, and this is true in every situation where you're dealing with a crisis or an issue, frequent communication is key. And that doesn't have to hinge on having a big headline. People in times of uncertainty want some certainty about the communication flow. So even if it's a minor update, even if it's a we're staying in touch, uh, we're, we're telling all our clients, uh, the counsel we're providing is communicate frequently. And what about the messaging? How do people deal with that? I know that, you know, in your background, you've uh, supervised and supported journalists in really tough situations. Can you tell us a little bit about how to message this kind of situation? Well, I think you have to be as transparent as you can possibly be while acknowledging you don't know. None of us know where we're going next. None of us know how this is going to turn out. And we have a governor in Ohio. I believe we're fortunate to have a governor in Ohio who's really trying to communicate. Talk about frequent communications. He's doing those daily briefings. But he is always cautious to say, and Dr. Acton is always cautious to say, yes, so for example, we're talking about a gradual May 1st reopen, but we don't know. And we can't provide details about that. And that's understandable. I think people accept that. But they want to hear what you don't know as well as what you do know. So that's the first thing. And, and as we tell people, you know, certainly as I told all my journalists and, and as we tell people all the time in Ennis Communications, tell the truth. Tell the truth. And, and tell as much of it as you can. And what about the line of communication? Should, should districts have uh, principals and school counselors and assistant superintendents sharing a common message? Should there be just one person who's speaking on behalf of everybody? What do you all advise? You know, I think the districts should communicate during this in the way they have traditionally successfully communicated. So I don't think they should break rank. And that's going to, you know, they may, that may change from district to district. You know, what are your parents, students, community, how are they used to you communicating? Now, consistency of message, sure. You certainly don't want an assistant principal saying something radically different from a superintendent or a principal. That seems fairly unlikely in this situation. So I would say, you know, along with frequency of communication, you know, consistency of message, 
and then get it out to your people the way they're used to getting it and the way that you think is effective. And if you have gone into this with some doubts about the effectiveness of your communication, then now is certainly a damn good time to try some new things to get to people. Well, and when you say try some new things, can you give us a few ideas and strategies that people can try if they feel like their communication system uh, has traditionally, traditionally been weaker than they'd like? What are some ways that they can get better? Sure. So for instance, if you have not been as active, let's say on social media, social media, it has become everything in our time uh, for good and bad, but it is a really effective way to get to your stakeholders because they're going there and they're going there now more than ever. We're, I realize this is a podcast, but we're doing this via Zoom right now. Well, going into this pandemic, I had been on Zoom about three times in my life. And I'm now on Zoom about three times every morning. So while that may not, that's not probably not a practical communication vehicle for a district trying to communicate with thousands of parents, it may be a practical vehicle for smaller groups. So I would say, uh, let's look at, they know best where they're, how to reach their audiences. They need to talk to each other about how are we going to reach our audiences with these messages. And if it's been lacking in the past, then how can we improve that? Is that via Facebook? Is it via Twitter? Is it via Facebook sending people to our website? However, that district feels it can best get its message across. What if there's an educational leader that's concerned about making a mistake and some fact, getting some fact wrong or fumbling over something or making a decision that they then need to change? Should they just, is that scary enough where they should just stop communicating or how do we get over that fear? Yeah, I don't think you ever stop communicating, right? But this is, you know, this is like the old joke, how do you get to Carnegie Hall when you practice? And uh, there, I, 30, I did 33 years in daily newspapers. I did thousands of interviews during that time. I was a reporter for a good part of that. I never met a natural born interviewee. I don't think they exist. It comes from practice and preparation. So there are, and we think the key to preparation is each time you're going to send out a communication, what are the two or three key messages you want to get across with that communication? Plan those out now and plan to deliver them frequently during that communication because that's the other cliche that is true. That's why it became a cliche. When you say something for the fifth or sixth time, perhaps people will begin to hear it. So don't worry about repeating that. In my previous life, we used to call, we didn't call them key messages. We called them the walk away. What do people walk away from this story remembering? Well, what's your walk away from this specific communication? And go into it with a plan. There's a, I think there's a much greater chance you'll reduce the chances of mistakes. And, and I would also, I would argue that districts should have a vehicle where they're able to field questions from their parents, from their faculty, from their teachers, from you know other administrative leaders. I don't know exactly, again, what that vehicle is per district, questions submitted to the website, questions submitted to social media, but you really should invite that because it's, it's two-way communication is not, I don't know if it's more difficult, it's not as natural now because you can't just sit down, people in a, in a in a meeting setting, have a forum, have a town hall. So you have to, I, I think you have to reach out. I think it's incumbent upon the leadership now to reach out for those questions 
And I, I would argue that every communication should include a, you know, a vehicle right now to field those questions and then answer them, obviously. And I, I see that you won the 2017 Communicator of the Year Award by International Association of Business Communicators. Congratulations. Have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, you, know, you think about situations where, boy, you can be really skilled at something, but do we all have something to learn? Yeah, uh, not long term like this. You know, I really haven't where it was this unknown. On a short-term basis, if you were in Northeast Ohio or you were in the Rust Belt, you remember the, the Great Blackout, which lasted. I was, in, I was at the Detroit Free Press at that time, and that lasted for three or four days. That was a weird situation because we lost the ability to publish. We did publish, but we had to do it in a remote setting, and, and people lost their internet, and people suddenly were like this on a very short-term basis – they could gather. We didn't have that problem, but they were literally over their back fences talking to one another. But in a, on a long-term basis and the level of unknown and the economic devastation that we're experiencing, no, I, I've, never, I've never experienced something like this. I've gone back and read about the 1918 pandemic just because this, I, I didn't know much about that. So I got curious about it. I've gotten curious about it and I've been reading about that. And there are certainly some parallels to that, although that was a, a shorter duration. The incubation period, from what I've read, for that influenza was much shorter. So it would sweep through cities, you know, not in a, in a matter of months, in a matter of days. And you would get a very fast peak and then herd immunity. But for long-term communication challenge like this, no, I've not seen it. So what's the right tone in this situation of the unknown? What is the right tone for districts to take? And well, how would you advise a superintendent who calls you and says, should I sound panicked? Should I sound cocky about this? What, how should I come across to people? First of all, we tell people all the time, you can't communicate your way out of a crisis. You have to act your way out. But then you have to communicate those actions or people won't know what you're doing. So let's assume that you're handling this to the degree you can, given the uncertainty that exists. What I've told other clients is I want you to evince an air of calm preparedness, but you also have to acknowledge people's fears. You have to acknowledge the unknown and you have to acknowledge that we're all scared by this because we all don't know. Sometimes in some areas of leadership, there's this idea that strength equals certainty. That can't be the case, I would argue, in this situation. You can be certain about what you're doing, but you can't be, you, no one can be certain right now about what the future brings. And that's how you induce panic. That's how you end up with people who are uncertain, don't believe what you're saying. It doesn't come off as authentic. Um, so I would say calm preparedness combined with an acknowledgement of what you don't know and that this is a scary time, but you know, we're going to get through it together. It, the pandemic will end. We don't know what we're going to look like coming out of it. We don't know how life will change but it will end and you have to be talking to people about how, how you're planning for that now to the degree you can. And one of, the, one of the vows you can make is that we're gonna keep our lines of communication open all along the way. Everything you've seen from me at this point, frequent communication, telling you what I know when I know it, trying to bring you into the process, inviting your questions, that's going to continue from now to whenever we come out of this and beyond that. So it's really about relationship at some level, maintaining that trust in the relationship with the community. 
that's something that districts have been cultivating for a long time. And this really calls that into action, doesn't it? It does. It does. The other thing that crises do is they, they expose your strengths or weaknesses of your core values because that's where people go to. That's when core values become not just something you put on your website because they're nice words. They're absolutely things that you live by. And if you have, let's assume that this school district has strong core values, then go to them. Go to them in this situation because they should be a source of strength and they should be, they should be that foundation of everything you do now. I see you wrote an article in February called Layoffs in Age of Coronavirus, and then the subtitle's a zinger, Delivering News That Will Make People Hate You. Do you have any uh, comment on that or anything you want to share uh, in that regard? Yeah, I, I did that in part because that was that, that second wave I saw coming, and you could see it coming pretty fast. I, unfortunately, fortunately, in terms of being understanding this issue, unfortunately, from a personal and professional standpoint, I did a lot of layoffs. I was um, an editor and a managing editor uh, during the great newspaper industry crash. Uh, so I personally experienced that. And besides leaning heavily on, on you know, human resources experts, I came up with some of my own kind of rules for how, to, how you conduct yourself through that. And I, I included that in that story. And those are things like, I always wanted to do it face-to-face. Well, guess what? Now you can't do that. So there's a, now, there's a new layer of difficulty. I wanted to, but I wanted to, and I always wanted to, as the, the leader in that newsroom, I never wanted to blame it on the parent company. I never wanted to say, you know, this is, they're making me do this in effect. The other one that I always avoided was, uh, that I quickly learned to avoid was, you know, this isn't easy on us either. I, I, it's not, by the way. If you're in a position where you're letting people go, it's really draining. But I'll tell you this, it's a hell of a lot easier than being on the other side of the table. Uh, as well as particularly with this one, we're seeing a lot of companies choose furloughs when they can. That's very intentional. And I think it's obvious that one of the reasons is it's you can maintain medical benefit. You know, employees who are laid off, obviously, are eligible for COBRA. And there are many companies that are stepping up and paying for that COBRA for a period of months. But furlough is a lot, and furlough is also a lot easier way than when you come out of it on the other end and presumably your business picks back up to very quickly bring those employees back. Well, I was really uh, fascinated by that article. And for people that want to look for more resources from from your website there and from Bruce and others there on your team, uh, what's the best way for them to get more information or get part of, become part of your newsletter or contact you? Sure. So the, we're, our, our website is www.crisiscommunications, all one word with an S on the end, .com. One of our founder, Bruce Ennis's uh, smartest moves was to get that URL when he first started the firm. All, all those pieces are included there. We also do a free twice-monthly newsletter. And yeah, it is, it's a marketing piece. We try to get business from it, but it's really focused on best practices, tips, the latest in this case, that how we're dealing with clients who are dealing with corona, with the coronavirus communications. And you can go to, uh, you can email me, or you can just go to our website and sign up for that newsletter. Well, this has been tremendously helpful, Tom, and uh, we hope it's helpful for our listeners as they listen, as they look for ways to help navigate this challenging situation in a tricky time. Well, David, I, I thank you for this opportunity. This podcast is licensed under Creative Commons.